And I don't have a funny video tonight. I know it. It's terrible, isn't it? I do. Well, I've got a new Boudreaux joke. A new Boudreaux joke for Sunday. Pull out your sermon notes while they're taking up the offering. And uh, I'm trying to stay off of Steve's websites and not steal his jokes. But uh, we're, we're, going, we're talking about difference makers. And my, my message tonight is difference makers live a rich and satisfying life. Anybody want to live a rich and satisfying life? The, some translations call that an abundant life. Uh, you know, I believe that God wants us to be difference makers. I don't think that Jesus paid the price that he did so we could just come and be comfortable. He wants us to make a, di- he wants to make a difference in our lives, and he wants us to make a difference in other people's lives, the people who are around us at work, the people who are around us uh, when we're playing, the people who are around us in our families and our friends. And, and so uh, I believe part of that, is he wants us to live a joy-filled life. How many of y'all want to live a joy-filled, peace-filled life? That's why I became a Christian. I wanted peace, and I wanted joy, and I didn't have it. And, uh, and so, uh, and most people don't. I want you to think with me just for a minute. Think about a time when you were just overjoyed. I mean, overcome with happiness and excitement and, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's been a long time now, but I remember I almost jumped over a table when the Saints won the Super Bowl, all right? But that kind of happy. I want you to think of that. When, when is the time, that maybe the last time, you've just been happy, you felt good, and, uh, and, and we want to learn. Uh, what we want to do is learn how to be that happy all the time. And, uh, and so we're going to look at 1 John. And so read with me this passage, if you would. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. This is John, the favorite apostle, talking. He said, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. He's the one who is life itself was revealed to us. And we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard uh, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things so you may fully share our joy. And so we want you to be able to fully share the joy of the Lord. I don't know about you, but if you read, look at the news and stuff right now, it's hard to be joyful. You, You know, you think about all the sacrifices we made in Afghanistan, and the country's just gone. You know, all the way back. And, and you think about the craziness going on with COVID. I mean, I don't know about you, but it was feeling good. We were thinking this thing's on its way out, and all of a sudden it's as bad as ever. It's crazy. And, and we need that joy. And so we're going to look at, at, at John's writing for this. Now, John wrote five books of the Bible. Uh, he's often referred to, of course, he refers to himself this way, as the favorite of Jesus, all right? But John wrote... The Gospel of John, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the Revelation of John, all written by the same guy. He was the youngest of the disciples. And, uh, and so the Gospel of John, you can write this down, was written to convert people to faith in Jesus. That's the whole purpose 
of the Gospel of John was to show people the deity of Jesus and for them to be converted and become followers of Jesus. Now, the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, were written to convince Christians, that's us, it was written to convince Christians to live for the Lord. And, and so that's why those were written. The revelation of John was written to confuse Christians, all right? I mean, how many of you have ever revela- revelation and just scratched your head and said, well, maybe another time? And uh, no, it was written to comfort Christians that were going through extreme persecution and let them know Jesus was coming back. See, our life is not here. Our life is in heaven. Our hope is in heaven. And Jesus is coming back. And, uh, and that's what Revelation was for. So, but First John was written to encourage and equip Christians. It was written about 85 to 90 A.D. and is written from Ephesus. Remember, Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians. Well, John wrote First John from Ephesus. And uh, you can see the purposes of the letter. I'll give you some of these. One, uh, one purpose is to, for us to live joyfully. In, in chapter 1, verse 4, he said, We're writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. He wants us to live joyfully. Secondly, he wants us to live godly lives. In uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, My dear children, I am writing this to you. So he, he says, uh, he, he gives the reason he's writing. He says, I'm writing this to you so you won't sin. Bottom line, he's writing to us so we won't sin. And he said, but if anyone does sin, and, he, and John knows we're all going to sin, right? He said, so if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. And, uh, and so that's live godly lives. Third purpose, he wants us to live victoriously. How many of you want to live a victorious life? Want to have victory over addiction? Want to have victory over poverty? Want to have victory over uh, just purposelessness, victory over depression. We want to have victorious lives. First John 2, verses 26 through 27, he said, I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray, but who have received, but you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true for the Spirit teaches you everything. You need to know and what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Jesus, with Christ. And so those are, those are the purposes. And, and then he says, to, uh, the, the fourth one is to live confidently. To live confidently. And let me tell you, you, I don't believe Jesus came and died on a cross so we can walk through life hoping that we're saved. He, he wants us to live confidently. Look what he says in chapter 5, verse 13. I've written this. He's talking about I've written this book to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's written that so that you would know that you have eternal life. He wants us to know. And see, so First John, it, those, are, those are purposes. Now, he's, he's, it's, he's going to tell us how to live, how to really live for the Lord. See, we talk about being saved a lot, but we don't talk about how, what does it mean to actually live for the Lord. And so, we're going to do this. And so tonight's message is difference makers live a rich and satisfying life. So what does it mean being rich? You know, what, what, what does it mean? You know, uh, does it mean having the goods or does it mean being physically rich? Or when he's talking about rich and satisfying life, kind of makes me think about this Texas millionaire that died. I always said I've never seen a, a armored car following a funeral procession until one day I saw one going across the Causeway Bridge behind a funeral procession. 
I don't think they were together. But anyway, this, this millionaire Texas guy, he died, and, and uh, he, had, he had written out that he wanted everything he had, his gold-plated boots, his Rolex, his hat, his money, everything to be buried with him in his Cadillac. So they dug a huge hole, and they were lowering that Cadillac with him and, and all this stuff down in there. And, uh, and, um, and one of the guys says, man, that's really living. It really wasn't because he was dead, all right? But, you know, that's the way the world thinks. The world thinks that that is living, that having the stuff, having more stuff. You know, he who has the most toys wins, right? And, uh, and so uh, that's not, that's what our culture thinks, but that's not. Most people have no clue, uh, you know, about enjoying what life's about. How many of y'all like country music? You don't have to raise your hand if you're ashamed of it. But, I mean, you know, but most country singers don't know how to live a good life. I mean, listen to some of these titles I found. She got the gold mine, I got the chef. Now, that's real country music. <laughs> my wife ran off of my best friend, and I sure do miss him. I mean, that's, that's country right there. I keep forgetting that I've forgotten about you. I remember that song. Uh, you're the reason our kids are so ugly. <laughs> Country music singers don't know how to live a happy life. I mean, you know, as somebody one time said, if you spin a song, country song backwards, you get your dog, your, your truck, and all your house back and all that. Or, you know, one more, one more for you. I was on one of Steve's websites. I've been flushed from the bathroom of your heart. So I don't know who sang that one. But anyway, First John's going to teach us how to enjoy life. I believe that God wants us to enjoy Life. Now, it's a fight sometimes, but he wants us to live a joy-filled life. Look at 1 John 1, 4. He says this, and if you do as I say in this letter, you too will be full of joy. Now, here's the thing. We don't talk about this much, but joy is found in what? Obedience. He said, if you do what I say in this book, he said, then you'll be full of joy. So we're going to look at that. Uh, you know, we don't want to be like Madonna, who one time said, I don't know anyone who's really happy. And, uh, and so she may not. I do. And you do as well. So what does it take to experience a rich and satisfying life? Now, we're, this, is, this is more Bible study than preaching, so just bear with me. And uh, you can write in some things, because everything that's going to be on the screen is not on your paper. Write this down, though. Real and lasting joy comes not from having stuff. It comes from knowing the Lord. Real and lasting joy. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, let me tell you, I was miserable, I was angry, and I had a temper like you can't believe until I met Jesus and established that relationship. Real and lasting joy comes from knowing the Lord. And John, he's not only writing to counteract some false teachers, uh, but he's writing to restore joy to believers. And so in verse 1, he said, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning whom we have heard and seen, we saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Now, let me explain that verse to you. One, John is telling us right here that Jesus is the eternal son of God. He said the one who existed from the beginning. Jesus is the eternal son of God. He, Jesus existed before he was ever a man. Before Jesus existed as a historical man, he existed in the world as the creator of all things. He is all, uh, he's, he's, he's eternal. He's not, he didn't have a beginning and an end. Jesus didn't start when he was incarnated in Mary's belly. Jesus was at the very beginning of time. 
And, uh, and that's what John 1, uh, 1 John 1, 1 says. In Gospel of John, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. In the beginning, the Word that's talking about Jesus, what does it say? Already existed. You need to know, and here's the thing. When we know Jesus, but we have to know Jesus, right? And a lot of people still think of Jesus as a little baby. You've got to know that Jesus was here before we were. Jesus was here before the animals. Jesus was here before the world was formed. It says we proclaim the one who existed in the beginning. We, he said in the beginning the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. So Jesus is the eternal son of God. And, and since the very beginning, even before the beginning, Jesus was present. And so we need to, we need to understand that we have a Savior who's preexistent to the creation of time and who died and rose up from the dead. It's kind of like this little boy one time. He asked this older lady, he said, ma'am, he said, um, how old are you? And she said, that's none of your business. He said, well, ma'am, it looks like you've been in business a long time. And let me tell you something, Jesus has been in business a long time, a long time. And so John tells us he's the eternal son of God. He also tells us, number two, that Jesus is the historical son of God. Write that down, historical, not hysterical, historical. Not only was he the eternal son of God, but he entered time and became us. He became one of us. There was a moment in time that Jesus was born. It's a historical fact. You can look at it in secular human history records that there was a guy named Jesus born in Bethlehem, uh, and, and so he's a historical son of God. 1 John 1, 1 and 2 we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. That's the eternal part. Then look what he says. Whom we have heard, whom we have seen, we saw him with our own eyes and we touched him with our own hands. So the, Jesus not only was the creator preexistent, he was there with them. Because they heard him, they saw him, they touched him. And, uh, and it goes on and so says, this, is one, this one is life itself revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who has eternal life, who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. So he was preexistent, and now he's with us. And in John 1.14, the Gospel of John, you see a lot of similarities in, in each of John's books. He says this, so the word, that's Jesus, became human. There was a point when Jesus became a human. Fully God, fully man. We've talked about that before, but he, he, he became human and, uh, and, and lived among us. He made his home among us. He is full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we've seen his glory. So uh, listen to me. You, you need to understand the coming of Jesus into our world is a historical fact. Write that down. You know, people in the first century heard, saw, and touched him. They ate with him. He wasn't some fairy tale like figure that the media wants you to think about. He lived, breathed, and, and walked on the earth over in the Israeli area. That's the cool thing about going to Israel is you're walking where Jesus walked. And, and one of these Wednesdays, Pastor Kathy and I have got to do a, just some pictures of Israel, but there's actually one place we went that's underground that's the actual rocks that were there when Jesus was there. And, and so you're walking where Jesus walked. And Sea of Galilee, I always wonder when I'm on the Sea of Galilee, is this where he just kind of walked out and started talking to Peter out in the middle of the lake? I mean, you know, because so much of his ministry happened around there. 
He was a historical person. And, and John goes into great detail to describe this. The first proof was that they heard Jesus speak in a human voice. You need to understand that. The word, the word heard means that they heard it repeatedly. In other words, they had conversations with Jesus. They heard him speak. The second proof John talks about here when he said they, uh, they heard him, it says they, they actually saw him. Look in verse 1. He said, he said, whom we have heard and what? Seen. We saw him with our own eyes. It wasn't that, it wasn't that I heard that you saw him. I saw him with my own eyes. That's what John's saying. We saw him. So, uh, you know, they actually saw him. And, uh, and, and so they understood what they said. Now, that word where it says we saw in Greek means to examine with your own eyes. More than just to see it, but to, like, you know, I'm looking at you. I'm kind of reading you. I'm trying to figure out about you. And that's what, what he's talking about there. The word is theomai. And uh, the third proof that John gives uh, of Jesus' humanity is that they touched him. You can't touch a ghost. You can't touch a spirit. You can't touch a fairy tale. But they were actually able to touch him and, uh, and see him. And so John talked about all that. And, uh, and, and so remember after he was crucified and raised from the dead, they touched him. They put hands in his side. He ate. Ghosts don't, don't eat and stuff like that. And so um, we've got to understand that. The second thing, the coming of Jesus uh, was an enlightening reality. Write that down, an enlightening reality. This is one, in John 1, 2, it says, this is one who is life itself revealed to us. It was enlightened to them. It was revealed, uh, you know. And now we testify and proclaim that he is the one who is eternal life. He, he was made visible to the world. Uh, that's what that, that means. In other words, observing and encountering Jesus enables us to know what God is like. When you observe and encounter Jesus, you know what God is like because he is God. Hebrews 1.3 says the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He expresses the very character of God. Think about that. He radiates, he reflects God's glory, and he uh, expresses the character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven when it was finished. He'd done what he came to do, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father heaven. See, we encounter Jesus. We know what God was like. One time there was a little girl that was drawing a picture of Jesus. And uh, somebody asked her, said, what are you doing? She said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And, well, you can't do that. They said, nobody knows what God looks. And she says, well, they will when I'm finished. Because when you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. See, John's telling you and I, that after seeing Jesus, hearing Jesus, examining Jesus closely and touching him, we can know what God looks like because he looks just like Jesus. John also tells us that not only is Jesus uh, eternal and historical, he's transformational son of God. You've got to understand, he transforms lives. Jesus is the transformational son of God. He transforms lives. Many of you have experienced that transformation. If you're watching online, we want you to experience that transformation. In, in uh, 1 John 1, 2, this is the one who is life. He is the one who, who is eternal life. 
See, he gives us eternal life. Write this down. Jesus brings us an exciting life on earth. Let me tell you something. People say, well, I'm going to wait a while. I want to I get some things out of my system. I've never had as much fun since I became a Christian as I did before. I'm, I'm never hung over. I'm never sick. I'm never with regret. You know what I mean? You know, all those things that we think are fun, uh, you know. And uh, Jesus brings an exciting life on earth. Look what John 10.10 says. Jesus says, the thief's purpose. Who's the thief? The devil. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. How many of y'all want still kill and destroy? How many of y'all want rich and satisfying? That's what I'm wanting. Uh, you know, and, and that's what Jesus came to give. So following Jesus is going to fill you with joy and peace. It's a rich and satisfying life. Matter of fact, a Gallup poll was done a while back. said 5 to 10% of Americans are real followers of Jesus. Now, we know that more people claim to be a Christian. But about 5 to 10% live the way Jesus wants them to live. They're, they're staying morally pure. They're doing all these things and, and, uh, you know, and all that. But they're the real deal. And so what are these Christians like? They're more generous than the rest. They're, they're more loving than the rest. They're more forgiving than the rest. They're happier than the rest. Why? Because their lives have been transformed by a relationship with Jesus. It works. It works. We have people watching and people in this room that have gone through those kind of transformations that, that have had God change them uh, mightily. Uh, in their lives. The second thing Jesus does, not only does he bring us an exciting life on earth, he brings us an eternal life in heaven. He brings us an eternal life in heaven. And I've preached on we've got to have an eternal perspective in our life that we know this life isn't all it is. Sometimes we get all wrapped up in this and think that this is it. But guys, there's an eternity out there. There's an eternity out there. And Jesus brings us eternal life in heaven. Look at John 3.16. You know the verse. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have what? Eternal life. And let me just tell you, some people think, well, I don't want an eternal life if it's like this. He's talking about eternal, rich, and satisfying life. Man, it doesn't get any better than it does once you get to heaven. Heaven is, even the best it is here doesn't even compare with heaven. Okay, and... and uh, and, and, and so, you know, how many of y'all, how many of y'all want to go to heaven, right? So that, all right some of y'all, y'all answered that question right. There was two men arguing one time. Now, arguing about one was saying, hey, look, everybody wants to go to heaven. And the other guy was saying, no, they don't. The guy said, yeah, they do. And the other was going, no, they don't. So, well, let's ask the next guy that comes by if he wants to go to heaven. And that'll win the argument. So they asked this little kid coming along. They said, hey, man, hey, kid, you want to go to heaven? The kid said, no. So I asked him another time, hey, kid, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, no. He said, kid, don't you, when you die, don't you want to go to heaven? He said, well, yeah, when I die, but I thought she's getting a trip up right now. And, uh, you know, we all want to be in heaven someday, just not today, right? See, most people want to go to heaven, and, but the Bible teaches there's one way to get to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. It's not through Buddha. It's not through Mohammed. It's not through my good works. It's not through coming to church all the time. It's, it's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so write this down. To know Jesus, 
We have to be willing to, number one, repent of our sins. We've got to repent of our sins. Acts 3.19 says, now repent of your sins and turn to God. Repent means I'm going to turn away from my sinful life and turn to God. He said, so that your sins may be wiped away. So we've got to repent of our sins. Secondly, we've got to put our faith in Jesus. We've got to put our faith in Jesus. Put our faith in Jesus. Acts 4.12 says this, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That's why you can talk about God and people are okay. You start talking about Jesus in public and they get a little bit squirrely. Try it. Start talking about Jesus in a crowd. And, uh, you know, I remember we, we uh, were at a youth camp one time, took some kids to camp. This guy had been a time saver. Tells you how long ago this was. I don't think time saver is still in business. But these guys were just cursing at the cash register. And this guy just finally looks up and he goes, Jesus! The guy turned around and looked at him. He said, I love him, don't you? The guy had been cursing. And, uh, and let me tell you, you know, we've got to, We've got to put our faith in Jesus. That's the only name. That's the only name. Acts 4.12. He says that God has given no other name. And in Ephesians 2.8, God saved you by what? Grace. Okay, when you what? Went to church? No. When you you believed. See, we've got to put our faith in Jesus. That means we trust him for the forgiveness of our sins. We trust the work that he did on the cross, his resurrection to change us and forgive us of our sins. And then finally, we've got to surrender our life to him. Romans 10, 9 through 13, he said this. He said, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you should be saved. Now, what he's saying right there is there's no undercover Christians. You've got to openly declare that Jesus is your Lord. That's why we do baptisms back here. That's kind of a public profession of you saying, hey, I believe Jesus is my Lord. He's my Lord, my Savior. You know, some churches make you walk forward and, uh, and, and say that, but we've got to declare and believe it. And then he goes on in verse 13. He said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He shall be saved. So think with me. When did Jesus come into your heart for, at first? Think, think back. Think with me. When did Jesus come into your heart? For me, I actually looked up the date. I knew it was the third Thursday. I looked up the date. It was October 18th, 1973. I remember I invited Jesus to come into my heart. A guy had asked us, said, when are you going to get off the fence? And uh, a friend of mine that was standing next to me said some smart aleck answer, and John went after him, and I kind of got away, you know. And, uh, but that night, I went home. And I prayed and asked Jesus, because I was miserable. I had a temper, and I was, I was just a miserable person. And I invited Christ to be my Savior and my Lord. And it changed me. It was on, a thir- it was on Thursday night. It was a Thursday night, and uh, it was October 18th. Like I said, I backtracked on the calendar. I knew it was the third Thursday in October 1973. And I went back, and I, and I, and, and I looked at that, and I remember that's when I invited Christ. I watched Kung Fu that night. Kung Fu had absolutely nothing to do with my salvation. It's just it was on TV on Thursday night. And, uh, you know, and, and so, uh, but after Kung Fu was over, you know, I, I got on my knees and I asked Christ to come in my heart. The next day I could tell a difference. 
The next day, I couldn't wait to tell my friends. And a couple of them had gotten saved. John had chased them down, you know, and at Campus Life and, and got saved. So have you ever asked Jesus to come into your heart? I want you to think about that if you're here. If you haven't, I want to give you an opportunity right now. I just want you to bow your head. I, gotta, I know there's more blanks. I, I got you. Some of y'all that are thinking about quitting the church right now because <laughs> there's extra blanks. But I want you to bow your heads. I want you to think about if, if you can't come up with a time when you've invited Christ to come into your life, I want to give you an opportunity tonight, right now, to invite him to come into your life. See, Jesus loves you so much. He loves you so much. He, he accepts you where you are, but he wants to transform your life. He wants to make you this awesome, awesome follower of his. He's got special plans for each one of you. And he just has so much he wants to do in your life. And, and so I want to give you an opportunity. I just want you to pray this prayer with me. Uh, dear God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross for me. Thank you for dying for my sins. Please forgive me of all my sins. Come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. Jesus, as best I can, I give you control over my life. Please give me the power of your Spirit to walk with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer in your minute, according to the Word of God, He just came into your life and He forgave you of your sin and, and you're part of the family. And so that's the first part. That's salvation. We've got to have, we've got to know Jesus. We've got to know Jesus. Now, before y'all run me out of here, let me give you the rest of this, these outlines real quick. See, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to have fellowship with the Lord. Second thing, real and lasting joy comes from sharing life with other followers of, of Jesus. Sharing life with other followers of Jesus. Real and lasting joy in life comes from sharing life with other followers of Jesus. John said it like this in verse 3. We proclaim to you what we ourselves are actually seen and heard so that you may what? Have fellowship with us. Folks, we weren't created. There's no long-ranger Christians. That's why we're called the body of Christ. That's why we're called the family of God. That's why Jesus ordained the church. He wants us to fellowship with each other. How do we do that? We experience joy and fellowship when we fellowship with each other. Now, we do that a lot of different ways. I want you, but first, I want you to look at your neighbor. Some of you don't have a neighbor real close, so you have to shout it. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. Now, look at the one you didn't choose to do that to and say, I'm glad you're here too. Listen, we, 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 do, we do a lot of things to create meaningful relationships with one reason we eat is not because Robert needs to eat more food. We have amazing connections that happen at a table when you're sharing food. You know, we do a crawfish boil. I mean, where else other than this area can you just pour something out on a table and people jump on it like piranhas and start peeling and eating and sucking? I mean, it, and you can, you can go into somebody's backyard doing a crawfish boil like, like when they do the blessing of the fleets and I mean, you could go in somebody's yard 
and start eating, and, and they don't even know you, but you're welcome. I mean, they don't care. I mean, that's, that, but, but when we eat here, we're, we're fellowshipping. We're getting to know each other. When we do small groups, we're getting to know each other, and we're fellowshipping. And, and that whole thing is small, about a small group. The purpose is to get to know each other better to where you've got friends you can depend on. And then uh, work projects. You know, when you do a work project, man, that, that builds up something. Might be, you know, there's a great, when we did this food giveaway in Thanksgiving, how many of y'all participated in that that are here tonight? Wasn't that just, didn't that just jack you up? I mean, we were fired up until me and the worship team got COVID and kind of derailed everything right there, you know. But, but everybody was all jacked up. And, and, uh, and, uh, and so, uh, but, you know, it's, you get to know people when you're serving together like that. And so we fellowship together. We fellowship together because we live in a very non-personal world. We live in a very non-personal world and in a cold world. I mean, I, I read this. The Department of Social Services in Greenville County, South Carolina, sent the following letter to a deceased individual. Your food stamps will be stopped effective in March because we received notice that you passed away. You may reapply if there's a change in your circumstances. That's, the, that's our government, isn't it? Yes, your tax dollars at work. I'll give you another example of that. My mother died in November and I, when they did that next round of, of COVID checks, they sent her one. My brother called them up and tried to give it back. And they said, no, we don't want it back. Just put it in their bank account. And, uh, you know, I mean, is this like, are you kidding me? Uh, we need friendships today. More than ever, we need friendships today. Uh, and, and our culture doesn't have it. Online won't give it to you. We've got to have in-person friendships. And so it's important to be here as best you can. And we, we do our best to do that safely. That's why we ask you to wear a mask. That's why we're, you know, um, you know, we're not doing some of the things we would do. And so when you're moving around in here, wear a mask. And, uh, you know, but I believe you can find the right kind of friends right here at River Church. Now, I don't know if, if you're like me. I've had to change some friends. I mean, I've had different kinds of friends in life that didn't need to be my core friends, Right. And so you can get those kind of friends right here. Let me tell you, loneliness is a big problem today, especially after the last year and a half we've had, right? And, uh, and so uh, never have so many people lived so close together but felt so far apart. You know, we drive on crowded roads, rush from place to place, shop in crowded malls, live in a crowded subdivision, yet we don't even know our neighbors. And, and unless during COVID you did a lot of walking around your neighborhood. You know, I met some of my neighbors for the first time walking my neighborhood in COVID, and, and that's a shame. You know, lonely people are our coworkers. Lonely people are at, at maybe classmates. Lonely people are at work, you know, and, and God wants to use us to bring some change in their lives, to bring some joy in their lives, to be difference makers. See, bars can't do that. Electronic church can't even do that. But fellowship in a church can do that. And so we... The way we do that here, like I said, is we experience the joy of fellowship through meals together. You know, they said in Acts, and that's biblical. I want to give you the biblical basis for us eating a lot. So all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold all their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy. And so how many of y'all had some great joy while you were eating those tacos and stuff tonight, all right? And, uh, and also, 
but we share our meals together. We do small groups, number two. I know that's another blank. Don't want y'all to leave the church over no blanks. Uh, we, we experience the joy of fellowship through small groups, and we want to start those in September. Depends on what COVID's doing. They may be Zoom groups, or we may do them here where you can kind of spread out a little bit. But small groups, serving on a ministry team. If you're not active in something, maybe, uh, maybe you know, you want to join the, the faithful feeders and you'd like to help, help with that stuff. Or maybe you want to help with children or you want to be a, a greeter or something like that. Everybody look at me and smile. You're, that's better. And, uh, and so, see, if you can smile, you can greet. Say, hey, I'm so glad you're here. We don't want you looking mean, you know, and, uh, and all that. And, uh, and so, you know, but get involved. Serve on a ministry team. Maybe you say, hey, you know, I'm going to do a trunk or I'm going to help with games or something at the fall festival, something like that. And, uh, or we're, another thing we're looking at doing is maybe a Christmas basket with a ham with food for people and say, hey, I'm going to get involved in that or fuel the future. You know, we've got uh, Terry, Terry and Joe primarily uh, do the fuel the future food and Cheryl, and, uh, and, and they would love your help. We feed 25 kids down the street every week. Uh, we send food home with them so they don't come to school hungry after a weekend of not eating. But serve on a ministry team. Uh, Ephesians 4.16 just says, He makes the whole body fit perfectly together. And without you, without each one of you, the body doesn't work right. If, I did, if, if my finger wouldn't be much good if it weren't connected to my arm. And so it takes each one of us to do that. Serve on a ministry team. Finally, we experience real joy when we fellowship with Jesus. 1 John 1, 3 said, We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we want to fellowship with Jesus. How do we do that? Uh, you know, uh, real quick, write this down. We experience fellowship with Jesus by spending time with him. By spending time with him. Number two, we experience fellowship with Jesus by living for him. Remember 1 John 1, 4, he said, if you do what I say in this letter, then you too will be full of joy. So we, we spend time with him, we live for him. We do that by getting in the word, by spending time in our quiet time, by Bible study, those things, by coming to worship. You want to fellowship with Jesus. So write this down. If we know Jesus and we're living for him, we'll always have lasting joy in our lives. And that's the key. Too often we want to say if we know Jesus, we'll have joy. No, if we know Jesus and we're living for him, are you, are you pursuing Jesus? Are you pursuing living for him? And, and, and that's what we've got to do. Patrick Henry said this to his heirs and his will. He said, there's one other thing I wish I could give to you. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Without him, though you have everything else, you can never be happy. With him, though you have nothing else, you can always be happy. So that's one of the founders of our country stating that we need Jesus. John says this. I close with this scripture. We're going to bow and pray and sing and Get out of here. He said this, I've obeyed my Father's commands. Jesus is saying this, I remain in his love 
In the same way, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. I've told you these things so that you can have the same joy I have, so that your joy will be to the fullest possible joy. I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads, just try and focus up here. Maybe you prayed to receive Jesus a little while ago. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're in here and you prayed to receive Jesus. Maybe you need to experience his transformation in your life. Maybe you're here and you need to say, you know what, I'm going to commit to spending more time in Bible study or Bible reading, more time in prayer. I'm going to fellowship with Jesus. And I need to fellowship with other Christians. I don't know about you, but I need that. Father, I just lift up each person in this room. God, I pray that as we have just looked at your word tonight, that you speak to us, that, Lord, we would really know you because as we know you, we can experience your joy. So, Lord, I pray that your word, thank you for your word. I pray, God, that, that we've looked at your word and it will not come back void, that we know you better. That we can experience your joy. Lord, for those tonight that maybe have just made that commitment, I pray you make yourself real in their life. For those tonight who need to, to just maybe allow you to transform them and say, Lord, I surrender. I give it all to you. Lord, that they will do that tonight. those that say, you know, I'm just 